0: Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan, And unbelievably, this is the two-year anniversary of this podcast. So for this episode, I will be covering some of the news highlights like I usually do, but also I'll talk about some of the big news stories over the last year. Seems fitting as the first show of 2020. And I'll also share some of the top scripts, tricks, and tips too. And of course, the last year would not be possible without my sponsors, I know I say it all the time, but they also had a pretty good year for themselves. For example, PolicyPack Software grew to almost 2 million deployed seats across all products in 2019 and made it onto the Inc. 5000 fast-growing companies list. Their Policy Pack Cloud Edition was named a finalist for the 2019 Software as a Service Awards. They were also announced as one of the first Microsoft partners for Windows Virtual Desktop. And fearless leader Jeremy Moskowitz became an MVP in enterprise mobility and published his new book, MDM, Fundamentals, Security, and Modern Desktop, which is a great read. You should go out and get it. For Goliath, they launched their newest release of Goliath Performance Monitor, which helps to enable proactive remediation, intelligent troubleshooting, and take preventative care for end-user experience challenges. So troubleshooting has been made a lot easier for Goliath customers. Goliath more than doubled its healthcare customer base and is now trusted by three of the top five healthcare systems in the U.S., and that's not surprising. It wasn't necessarily a 2019 thing, but in 2018, I believe, they started supporting some of the Epic integrations into their monitoring dashboards, and they've also had a pretty large footprint with Cerner and some of the other EHR products, so no surprise they're so popular in in 2019. Also in 2019, Goliath has continued to grow exponentially in size, and this past year they added tech industry leaders to their executive team. Liquidware, as always, have also been very active this year, and we're also one of the first Microsoft partners for WVD as well. They were actually so early that they were on a panel discussion with an elite few at the event when WVD was first announced as Windows Virtual Desktop. This year, they also expanded their operations with crucial new hires in Europe, where they have had a 95% customer renewal rate, and they won multiple industry awards, and had a great year helping customers in their Windows 10 migration efforts, with much more to come in 2020. So I don't know if you appreciate that or not, I just had a feeling that instead of reading these tired old taglines that I do quite often, I reached out to... All of my sponsors and said, "Hey, I'm doing like a end of year wrap up type of show. What are some of your highlights for the last year?" So, thought it was different and fitting for the episode. And without further ado, let's hit this week's news. ZDNet has reported yet another malicious Chrome extension. This extension is called the Shitcoin Wallet Extension. I wonder if I have to put an explicit sign beside this episode. Um, the Shitcoin wallet extension only released on December 9th, so it's relatively new. And the extension lets users manage Ether coins and Ethereum ERC20 based tokens. It was found to be injecting JavaScript code on web pages to steal passwords and private keys from cryptocurrency wallets and cryptocurrency portals. Harry Denley, director of security at the MyCrypto platform, discovered that the extension contained malicious code. Denley states that any funds, be they Ethercoins or the Ethereum ERC-20 based tokens, that users managed directly with the extension are at risk. Denley says that the extension sends the private keys Of all wallets created or managed through its interface to a third party website located at erc20wallet.tk. This is obviously not a good look for Chrome. If you follow the podcast, you'll have heard me cover similar stories in the past, like that of the Postman imposter extension, the Hola plugin that was siphoning off users' compute, and several others. A few weeks ago i covered a story that microsoft announced its intention to follow california's new privacy rules nationwide now mozilla has announced they intend to follow it worldwide the california consumer privacy act which came into effect on january 1st has been likened to europe's gdpr law but i at least hope for american consumers and others that this will not lead to the same never-ending pop-ups on websites that we've had since GDPR came into effect. Neowin.net report that the next Firefox update on January 7th will allow users to be able to control and delete their telemetry data. For the time being, this feature sounds as though it'll only be available in the desktop version of the browser, but will hopefully come to the mobile version in future. Over the last two weeks, I covered the major Citrix ADC vulnerability. Well, now checking to ensure your ADC, your Netscaler ADCs, your old Netscalers are safe from the vulnerability is made very easy for control of customers, courtesy of a new script based action shared with the community by the great Citrix CTP, Esther Bartel. So if you've not remediated yet, or you don't really know much about this story, and you're like, huh? a vulnerability with my NetScaler. I wonder if this affects me. Well, if you've got control up, you could simply run this script-based action and it will tell you if you're vulnerable or not. And hey, if you did mitigate and you want to make sure that the mitigation was completed correctly, you could also run this as a validation. Good job, Esther. GoEUC.com, who I've featured quite a lot in scripts, tricks, and tips, and also the news on the podcast over the last year, have just shared a year-in-review blog post of their own that shows the popularity of the site and its impressive growth over the year. Interestingly, their comparison of Server 2016 and 2019's RDSH was the most popular comparison article of the year. In the conclusion of their article, they have put out a call for others to participate. If it's something you'd like to get involved in, maybe you're working in IT right now and you're thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to maybe start blogging or get more involved in the community, build up a network, this could be a really great chance to do that. You could reach out to the team at goeuc.com and just find out if there's an area of interest that you could cover and contribute to their great articles, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you on board. And speaking of that great Go EUC team, Van Vangulik shared a heads-up this week on Twitter to Citrix Cloud customers, stating that Citrix have added three additional non-standard URLs to the internet connectivity requirements for the cloud connectors. He said this is going to be a temporary issue, and a fix is being worked on by Citrix. So if you're using Citrix Cloud, you may need to adjust your firewall rules, at least temporarily. And a quick note, but Microsoft Outlook for Android recently reached 100 million installs. I will add that when the first launch of the new Look Outlook app came out, I thought it was really great. And then a few weeks later, there was an update, and it completely destroyed it. I stopped using it for years. I went back to using it maybe about... Seven or eight months ago, and it is much improved. So, this last one could actually be a scripts, tricks, and tips for this episode, but I'm going to do like a best of scripts, tricks, and tips instead. But Paul Cunningham has made his book titled Surviving IT completely free to read on survivingitbook.com. It's noted as an essential guide for IT professionals to build a happy and healthy technology career. So if, like many of us, maybe you're dealing with uh, IT burnout or you're just thinking through things for your career and where you're going, maybe this book could help give some insight and get you thinking straight about what's to come and what's next for you. And that's it for this week's news. If you have no interest in... (laughs) The highlights of 2019, you could just stop listening right now. But if you want to hear about the highlights and trends for the year, we're about to dive into it. So it's been a rough year for Windows 10. There was multiple problems caused by Windows updates, such as an app VDLL issue on Windows 10 1903 that Tim Mangan reported. There was a critical out-of-band IE patch that broke the Windows 10 start menu for certain users, and what seemed like a doomed May update that was pulled as a download for several weeks. Off the back of the issues this year, Microsoft recently announced plans to change how they test and deploy Windows 10 updates in future. Microsoft will no longer designate preview builds that roll out to the fast ring as part of a specific release of Windows 10. And this means from now on, builds released to the fast ring can include features that might not show up in the immediate next public releases of the OS. So they're basically giving themselves a little more freedom. Essentially, they're going to use the fast ring as a perpetual beta ring putting new features into the ring on a more frequent and recurring basis, while the slow and release previews would be more reflective of what makes it through that testing and is more likely to feature in upcoming builds. So it's good that they're changing things up because obviously the way they've been doing it hasn't been very effective. And it's a shame too because Microsoft has kind of been championing their methodology and their testing and their deployment and builds the way they're doing it, And I think a lot of other companies have been following suit with that methodology. So when a large organization with seemingly endless resources like Microsoft struggles to execute on it this way, it is a little bit worrying. But hey, I really hope that it does work out and things are a lot smoother in 2020. From a security standpoint, as pointed out by Microsoft and mentioned on last week's episode, it was another rough year for ransomware attacks, but possibly more surprising is that ransomware attacks actually fell year on year compared to 2018, while phishing attacks increased. Microsoft's Chris Jackson posted a very interesting article this year that seems to have been edited a little bit since its original publication that essentially suggests that enterprises should stop using Internet Explorer 11 as their primary browser and move to a modern browser. The timing of the article was interesting because the Chromium-based Edge, which is being released Q1 of 2020, actually in a couple weeks, was still about a year away from getting released at the time. While it's logical, and I think all of us would probably agree with Chris, it was surprising all the same coming from somebody from Microsoft when Microsoft really didn't have a viable modern browser of their own for you to move to. In what was probably the biggest security story of the year, enterprises had to take quick actions to patch against the blue vulnerability in RDP. I think I said it at the time, but the fact this wasn't a mad panic as there weren't attacks happening all over the world and it wasn't a Friday freakout mode dealing with patching for Bluekeep. I felt it was much easier than patching for WannaCry. Now, fast forward a few weeks to May, and reports started to come out that there was an active exploit for Bluekeep, and today there are now multiple exploits known out there. So those who have slept on it could still get badly stung by this. In September, ThreatPost reported that Microsoft issued an out-of-band IE patch to address a remote code execution flaw. The Internet Explorer zero-day vulnerability was CVE-2019-1367. The IE patch, obviously by its nature, was for something that was quite dangerous, as it could mean an attacker being able to gain access and possibly get an admin account to execute malicious code and anecdotally a buddy of mine actually had a customer who got attacked through this vulnerability that one being out of band was a little bit more tricky for us working in enterprise to get it deployed unfortunately with security i think it's always going to be a moving goalpost you just got to keep ahead of the threats So I'm sure 2020 is going to be just as active as 2019 and 2018. On the networking side of the house, Cisco started to roll out Wi-Fi 6-enabled devices. And their announcement came just about three weeks after the announcement of Netgear's Nighthawk AX4, which I believe was the first Wi-Fi 6-compatible router. What was interesting was in November, during Black Friday, that Nighthawk router that's Wi-Fi 6 capable was actually for sale at Walmart for $99. Wi-Fi 6 is expected to become a standard by 2022. Samsung and Apple's latest mobile devices also have Wi-Fi 6 compatibility with support coming hard and fast uh, for other device makers. Wi Fi 6 does provide faster speeds, but its main gains, in my opinion, are in its efficiency that will make it attractive in enterprise. It covers a wider range and provides enough bandwidth for handling peaks much better than its predecessors. Also, in the networking realm, RIPE NCC, the body tasked with distributing IPv4 addresses in Europe that it received from the Internet Assigned Number Authority announced they had run out of IPv4 addresses. This was only a few weeks ago. If you listened to the podcast, you'll have heard me cover this a little in the past with warnings this would happen and even the fact the country of Belarus mandated IPv6 there. It seems they were actually being pragmatic and others need to follow suit. IPv4 did come close to the brink in the past and millions of IP addresses were recovered. They think this time the number they'll be able to recover will be in the hundreds of thousands. This is likely to cause a lot of strain on ISPs, and eventually they won't be able to get IP addresses in a, as timely a manner as required. There clearly needs to be an aggressive push towards IP version 6. I figure it's worth talking about because the joke has always been that, oh, this is going to be the year of VDI. Was 2019 the year of VDI? As everyone could probably guess, no, it was not. What was interesting, though, was that Microsoft have released Windows Virtual Desktop. They extended support for App-V to 2026, which I thought was kind of interesting. But at the same time, they also announced App Attach for MSIX. So they're kind of getting a little bit into that layering space that Citrix, Liquidware, and VMware are already in. But it's also stated that it's a little bit different. I'll be honest, I've signed up for the preview. I have access, but I haven't really tested it properly yet. So i got to hold back on giving a full opinion on it. I will say that with MSIX, it's still a little bit challenging. As of recording of this recording, uh, services are still not supported with MSIX. Drivers are not supported. Complex component services and even some other components or features that work today with something like app v which is obviously considered their dated technology that has an end of life set is not working in MSIX. so it's kind of hard to suggest that yep MSIX is enterprise ready everyone moved to it or even that app attach is going to be great because app attach will rely on msi x as it basically encapsulates those msi x packages maybe Because layering is so different to MSIX or traditional app virtualization, maybe App Attach will actually give greater compatibility for applications for MSIX, too, because we'll be able to do things like extract out drivers and services and execute things in system context that maybe an MSIX package alone cannot do. In the end user computing space, VMware And Citrix, obviously being the big players in VDI in the past, both seem to be leaning very heavy in the direction of their workspace products, being Citrix Workspaces and VMware Workspace ONE. Personally, I think VMware Workspace ONE has done a really good job at the device management side of things, the contextual delivery to devices. While Citrix have been doing a really good job on the analytics and the security side of their workspaces, I think Citrix have done a really good job on the UI design as well. I, I much prefer Citrix Workspaces uh, portal, the just the look and feel. Citrix have moved towards this micro apps ability, which is very interesting. It seems very powerful. It may be a little bit of a Hail Mary to think that enterprise customers might develop these integrations with the workspaces between their existing applications using these micro apps. But I mean, I'm willing to give it a try. So hell yeah, I like it. This year VMware bought Carbon Black 2, which is pretty interesting because it might give them an edge in part of the security space. And I'm actually riffing here. I'm not rating off a script, but it seems a good time to also mention that surprisingly HP purchased or acquired Bromium this year. And Bromium is a, a security tool that I really like. Let's get into some hot jobs for the year. In 2018, when I started the podcast, I did the hot jobs segment every single week. And then when 2019 came around, I decided to only feature jobs that maybe someone who listens to the podcast wanted me to share. Maybe they're having a hard time finding a suitable candidate. Or even if I just saw an interesting job or specifically a job where remote work was Possible because it still seems like those are pretty rare, although becoming less rare now as we go ahead. And on the topic of remote jobs, in 2018, I shared an online list of employers who hire remote workers. And this year, I featured another, even more extensive list of companies who hire remote workers 896 different companies, in fact. And I'll share that link with this episode, which is episode 105 on 5 or you'll find it in the description on your podcast platform of choice. But also, GitLab specifically have over 100 open positions right now for remote workers, which are both technical and non-tech positions. So if you're really craving a remote work opportunity, it seems like GitLab have the most remote opportunities for any company that I've seen, and I know that Stripe announced that they're going to be opening a remote hub, so like a non-physical location, so expect them to be hiring quite a lot of people who are remote too. And now some of the best scripts, tricks, and tips. This year, Citrix CTP Dave Brett shared an excellent blog post on tips for securing your end-user computing environment. He dove into the benefits and the steps to set up segregated admin groups for your various services, restrict domain admins, and more. I don't want to give away its full content, but it's definitely a smart approach to reducing the risk of a lateral movement attack taking out your EUC assets. And another Citrix CTP, the great Patrick Koble, released the preview release of his VDI Lockdown book that has some excellent tips for all in EUC for locking down your desktops and more. If security is your bag, you should check out an interview that I did along with Jarian Gibson on the Frontline Chatter podcast with Patrick Koble. It is awesome, not just from an enterprise perspective. You get to hear a little bit about his adventures and his pen testing work but also for some of your own personal security. I learned a lot just from talking to him, and you'll learn a lot if you listen to it. 2019 was a great year for tech books, including the Bite Size Cloud book, which I talked about several times. It is now available, and proceeds go to charity. It's worth picking up a copy for yourself. By far and away, the individual whose work has been featured the most on the podcast in 2019 is Guy Leach. Rather than cherry-pick one script in particular, I don't have to because Guy has a curated list of all of his scripts with information on what each one can do for you. It's really an incredible free resource, so check that out. Speaking of incredible free resources... Bronson Magnin shared a really handy script for setting up a single dashboard for all of your web-based admin tools like, say, SolarWinds, Citrix Director, vSphere Web Client, VMware Horizon Admin Console, and so on. Sam Jacobs shared tips for encrypting credentials in your PowerShell scripts for those pesky actions that require passing credentials. There is a really great chart that shows each steps of the Windows boot process. It'll show you what you are seeing during the boot when you're looking at your screen and then what's actually happening in the background at that time. It's really, really cool. It's one to print out and put up in your cubicle. Or if you work from home, on the wall, I guess. This year I featured tips from Rob Beekmans for those who rely on hearing aids and how to cope when at tech conferences with your hearing aids. I also feature some great sensible ergonomics tips That I bet most of us have seen before in ergonomics training, but maybe have forgotten. And if you've never done ergonomics training and you're working in IT, you really need to check these out. This is a really good resource for keeping in your office and using as a reference. It's really, really well put together. Johan at DeploymentResearch.com shared a really great blog post on how to create the perfect Windows Server 2019 reference image. And on a similar note... Thomas Maurer had a blog post on adding drivers to a Windows Server 2019 ISO. With the acquisition of FSLogix, which I can't believe I didn't mention when talking about the news of 2019. I think they were acquired in 2019, right? Anyway, with the acquisition of FSLogix by Microsoft and the announcement that FSLogix is now available to pretty much every enterprise Microsoft customer, I figured a roundup of some of the FSLogix content is worth sharing too. First up, Aaron Parker shared a PowerShell script for creating FSLogix rule sets for masking Microsoft Office applications. And in the same vein, Jim Moyle shared a video demo of using FSLogix app masking for the use case of Visio on Project, which comes up all the time as a challenge in enterprise. Many orgs don't have adequate license controls in place, and this can be a huge help. Eva Pisa has a cool tool called the FSLogix monitor tool that is available for download. If you're trying FSLogix as a Microsoft customer and feel there's something missing and it's not a very transparent tool, this could be for you. You can see a general health indicator for the FSLogix profile, profile size, and other information. Plus, it helps with parsing through the log information too. Alex Radu Marin shared a really handy PowerShell script to search for an application's uninstall string. This is something I, and I'm sure many others, have to do pretty regularly. For example, earlier this year I upgraded Citrix WEM to version 1906. I wanted to try to manually uninstall the version that was already on the machine, which meant opening the registry to look for the uninstall string. This could have been a very quick way to find what I needed. Credit to Andrew Morgan for this one. He shared a link to a tool for transforming a USB key into a virtual smart card. The tool is free unless you are using a Pro or Enterprise Edition of Windows, but if you would like to use it for home labbing, you certainly can, or just for your own day-to-day purposes. It's been quite a while since I have had to support smart cards, so something like this is a good testing base for me. Anthony Howell at the PoshWolf.com shared a really useful PowerShell script. It's a script that scours events on your primary domain controller to detect account locks and their source. I actually have a similar script that I run in my own environment. And for visual, I rely on the free Microsoft tool, the AD lockout tool. The one great thing about the free tool that has a UI is that you can unlock a user's account who is experiencing an issue, target their account with the tool, and then watch in real time to see if there are more bad password attempts. And it'll also show all of your domain controllers indicating which DC the lock is occurring on, so you can grab events from there and find the source. The script is a quicker way than waiting though like I was, so I'll have to replace my own script with this. Kevin Kamansky shared a really great overview and tutorial of using Microsoft Message Analyzer to view the Windows Update Client Activity as it happens. I found this interesting because in an environment I worked in, I had an intermittent issue when trying to manually patch. The default logs and error messages with the Windows updates UI are very vague. My issue appeared to be at the network layer, but it was hard to pin down. So this tool was a godsend. AskForMeTech.com posted a really great series on how to use PowerShell to scan IP address ranges to gather all kinds of great details like host names, operating systems, CPU, memory, disk space, and more. And I didn't actually feature this script on the podcast last year, but it seems like a good way to expand on that IP scan tool. I found this article that gives tips on how to handle finding or scanning computers that are offline when running a batch job against machines in your organization. It's something I do a lot and I'm sure others do too. And this will help you handle those instances. A growing trend that I hope to expand on myself in 2020 is the evergreen application trend. The idea an application source is constantly kept up to date. Earlier this year, I featured an article and a set of scripts and application recipes on Andrew Jimenez's GitHub repository. And funny enough, he actually just updated it in the last week, so it's, I really recommend checking out his great SCCM application packager and the recipes there. And because he's awesome, Aaron Parker features again, and he also has an Evergreen PowerShell module for pulling the latest versions of some pre-canned applications. Keep listening to the podcast to hear more in the future about Evergreen applications. Finally, I have to mention one product. Master Packager released a free version of their excellent packaging tool that offers enterprise-grade features like the ability to create response transforms in the free version. It's one every tech worker should have in their tool belt. It's just a no-brainer. In 2019, I did quite a bit of blogging, maybe a little bit less than I had in previous years. I'm not sure if I'm going to blog all that much in 2020. I might. Quite frankly, this podcast keeps me pretty busy. It's very hard to actually get some blog posts out there. Uh, But I am working at the moment on reviewing some uh, products to do another bake-off like I did for application layering in the past. I'm currently training someone in my day job, and that has made me think about these things that I've taken for granted that maybe someone else doesn't know, so I might start posting these short little how-to blurbs on specific things. I don't want to do like lengthy ones on, hey, this is how you set this up um, step by step, but maybe little pieces of information that people get wrong. I also took the personal decision to stand down or um, resign from some of the community groups that I've been involved in. I also promised myself that in 2020, I'm not going to speak at any conferences. And that's because one, it takes a lot of time to actually come up with those sessions. Like it takes probably eight to 10 hours of scripting it out, making the demos, doing the presentation slides, practicing it and so forth. So it is quite time consuming and I'm pretty busy. But also Esther, who I actually mentioned during this episode earlier, was at E2EVC and I was speaking there and I heard somebody uh, ask her like why she didn't speak at the event, and she said that you well, know, she didn't really need to speak at, at the event this time, and uh, not doing so gives someone else an opportunity, and it made me think it's like uh, oh, you know that's actually a pretty good point. I've had many years now where I've had the privilege to speak at these events. Maybe continuing to do so is depriving someone else of the opportunity. And I kind of feel that way a little bit about um, some of the programs I'm in uh, that are quite elite and limited in number of who they can accept. Well While I think I still do contribute quite a lot to the community through this podcast and other things that I do, I've kind of had my day in the sunshine, and it was really exciting for me to get these types of awards and this type of recognition. So I know it would be really exciting to someone else who's also very deserving. So 2020 is going to be a pretty different year for me, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to go to conferences. Some of you might be surprised to hear, but I've never actually been to a conference just as an attendee. I don't know if I started my IT career too late in life, but my employers never just sent me to go to conferences for the sake of like learning. I always had to at least partially go out of pocket and rely on being a speaker to cover some of my expenses. So this year, I've decided I'm just going to go out of pocket. (laughs) I'm going to pay for myself to go to conferences and just enjoy them as an attendee. So if anyone's going to be at the EUC Masters Retreat in Scottsdale, Arizona in April, I will see you there. If anyone's going to be at E2EVC Madrid, I'll see you there. I might be lucky enough to get to a couple of others, too. I knew this was going to be a longer episode than usual this week because I'm doing an end-of-year wrap-up and also it's the two-year anniversary episode of the podcast. If you managed to stick through the whole thing, good on you. So from next week, I might change the format of the regular weekly show a little bit. If you have any suggestions or maybe after next week's episode you have some feedback, by all means, reach out to me on Twitter at Rory Mon or send me an email with your thoughts, rory at rorymon.com. Thank you all so much for listening in 2019. I hope you keep listening in 2020.